seats it's so great to see the joy that is here and just the the, the welcoming of each other um, for any of you that got the uh, the email that went out early in the week with drew playing the blues guitar how many of you got that email the preview of this Sunday right everybody wanted to see drew here with his guitar and uh, and yet he's not here. Here I am. Uh, nobody wanted to be here more than Drew. Um, he ended up having emergency dental surgery on Friday. So uh, I got a text early on Friday saying, they can do this. Can you preach? And I said, yes, go take care of what you need to have done. So he emailed me his notes. So we have a true collaboration from what the work Drew did and what I did to kind of tailor it. So if you like it, let me know. And if you don't like it, let Drew know. Uh, make sure he hears all those emails and whatnot. Uh, but we do have such reason to rejoice. On, at 1 o'clock on Friday, Drew went into surgery. And before they uh, took him in, he had quite a bad um, infection that was in one. He had four wisdom teeth removed, but a really bad infection in one. And the doctor said, you know, there's a chance that as a result of the surgery or during the surgery that there might be permanent numbness in your lip. And uh, even as he felt the first impulse to be a little worried and anxious with that news, he remembered that he's part of a praying church. And uh, so he sent word and we got word out on Friday afternoon to our prayer teams and our deacons and our elders and the staff. So at the time that Drew was being uh, operated on, we had a wall of prayer around him crying out that there would be no lasting numbness and of course that God would deliver him from that pain. And I'm here this morning to report to you that he has no numbness in his lips. So we wanna just thank God and praise the Lord for that outcome. And, uh, and I'd love to pray with you for Drew right now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the care you take over every hair of our heads. And God, we thank you that you saw fit, God, to put it on our hearts this year to be a praying church, to build our muscles. And Lord, we are thankful and grateful that we are able to lift up our pastor in those muscles of prayer, God. We pray your healing over his mouth, God, and we give you praise that even what could have been a, a really scary outcome, that you said no, that you were enthroned in our prayers and that no weapon formed against us shall prevail, God, that he is lifted up through you. And so we give you thanks and praise. We continue to pray for healing throughout his body, for healing of that infection. We pray over the entire Sam's family and ask that you would provide protection, renewal, restoration for all of them, God. And we are grateful to have this pastor with us. And Lord, now as we come to the proclaimed word, God, I ask that you would move through me, that you would hide me behind the cross, that this is your word for your people, not my words. This is your word for what you want to say for whoever is here in whatever place. Would you meet them? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're here for the first time or if you've not been here in the last few weeks, we're in a sermon series called Sampling the Psalms. What's on God's playlist? Just like any DJ, if you've been to an event where a DJ's there and can kind of 
react to, respond to the mood of the people, the event, right? He can take us up, he can slow us down. A good DJ has such knowledge of the library of music at his fingertips that he can be responding at a moment's notice to whatever that mood and emotion might be. And so it is that we have the same thing in the Psalms, God's songbook, that there's this library at our fingertips, God's songbook, that we can sample, that we can have every mood, every moment of our lives met in Scripture. And so it is in the last few weeks, we've heard about the anthem arena, those big songs where you put your arms around your neighbor. You remember Drew standing up here swaying? Now, Drew has said that his anthem arena is Rush. Now, I don't care if I'm dating myself. I'm going to tell you my anthem arena is Neil Diamond. Sweet Caroline, good times never felt so good. And then you say, so good, come on, so good, so good, I love that. That is my anthem arena. There is just something that makes my heart happy when that happens. We've also heard about road songs, the music that we put on that we know we're going to buckle up and drive for a long distance. And last week we heard about the dance music, right? When we are in invited to the dance floor, the Lord of the dance says, get up, just even like Kendall did this morning, get on your feet and dance. There's those times in life when we need that music. But then there's other times in life, and we all know them, the times when we have the blues. Those are the times that we don't want to dance, don't want to shout, we don't want to go anywhere or be with anyone, we don't want to talk. And so God inspired the blues. B.B. King said that blues is a lonely song sung on a porch at sundown. A lonely song sung on a porch at sundown. Probably all of us know that lonely song. And you know what's crazy? God knows that lonely song. You see, long before Jesus ever cried from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, our Father, was crying out to us the apple of his eye, crying, my child, my child, why have you forsaken me? A broken-hearted father, a suffering son, a spirit that is the music of their lyrics. The blues is here in the Bible. And just like that DJ who can play to any moment, who senses what's going on in the hearts and minds of the people there, so it is that in God's playlist in the Psalms, there is room and a place for our trouble and our pain and our sorrow. So I want you to think about those times in your life that you've experienced loss, disappointment, sadness, the times that you've been unprepared for the crisis that came, the times that you weren't ready to hear the diagnosis. Think about how you responded. Maybe you just shut down emotionally so that you could just get from day to day. Maybe you were just trying to get from minute to minute. That's that place of the blues. So today we are going to encounter a psalm, Psalm 22. 
that not only resonates with that place, that place of the blues in us, the seasons and the moments, but it's going to take us to a place that no blues song, that no blues artist can take us. Listen again to the beginning of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me, so far from the words of my groaning? Now, if that's not the blues, I don't know what is. While having the blues is a universal human experience, singing the blues has unique roots in America. Born out of one of the darkest chapters of our nation. It's a chapter that even today in South Carolina is finally finding its closure. The blues as a musical genre was developed by African-American slaves. They were singing a visceral, cathartic way, their experience of shared life. Listen to what's been written about blues. Its 12-bar bent note melody is the anthem of a race. It's the song of victimized, unfortunate, downtrodden souls yearning to be free of life's troubles. Relentless rhythms repeat the chants of sorrow and the pity of a lost soul many times over. This is the blues. When you're going through some of the lowest moments of your life, one of the most powerful things that anybody can do is simply step into that place with you and say, me too. Me too. There's a place in Scripture, and I swear to you, I had this image in my head long before I ever read B.B. King's quote about the sunset and the porch. This is a moment in Scripture, it's in 1 Samuel 8 where the nation of Israel says to Samuel that they don't want him to be their prophet anymore. Basically, they say to him, you're old and your sons are creepy. <laughs> and the sons really were creepy. I mean, they were. But, but Samuel took that and cried out to God. And I get this vision of Samuel on a front porch, on a rocking chair at sundown. Just rocking. He knows he's old. And I hear him cry out to God and say, God, they've rejected me. And then I become aware of the rocking of another wheelchair, rocking chair. And I know that that rocking chair was rocking before Samuel's chair got started, and they're just rocking there in rhythm. And God's in that seat. And God says, brother, me too. Everything they've done to you, they did to me. Let's just sit here a spell. You see, God enters into our place and he says, me too. The blues spread across America. They spread across the world. They jumped racial lines and cultural lines because they not only enter into the low moments of our lives, but they say, me too. And not only do they say me too, but they give us the words of our blues, the sighs and groanings that we can't even articulate. They build bridges, they break barriers, and in so many ways the blues just feel like a friend or maybe our best dog that knows how to just come and sit a spell. I want you to listen to the lyrics 
from Psalm 22. But I want you to do me a favor. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine Ray Charles or Nora Jones singing these words to you. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my chest. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are encircled around me. A company of evildoers circles me. My hands and my feet have shriveled and I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves and for my clothing they cast lots. You hear the blues? You hear the blues that God sings. But what makes this psalm different from any other blues song? At the beginning, we, we started talking about how to encounter this psalm in a way that goes beyond what any blues song, what any blues artist can ever do for us. What is different about this psalm, this song of blues? Well, to answer that, we need to know a little bit more about who wrote it. So Psalm 22 is written by David long before he ever came to the throne of Israel, before he was ever recognized as being a king. Sure, he had his fair share of great moments, but he had his fair share of the blues. He was a hunted man, literally hunted. He was so ostracized by his own community that he had to spend four months hiding in a cave. And while he was there, he was joined by 400 other men. And listen to what Scripture says, 1 Samuel 22, describing those men. It says, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter, bitter in soul, gathered to him. You see, just like good blues music, David said, me too, brothers, me too. So really, this was the original house of blues, right? That cave. These were the original blues brothers. Do you know who these men became, who Scripture tells us they are? They're known as the mighty men of David. These men who were outcast, who had nothing but the blues, these men gathered to David, and together they became mighty. So it makes sense through all this that David had this bluesy psalm within him. But here's what's interesting. This psalm isn't about David. It's not about his experiences. Of all the things that David did experience, what he describes in Psalm 22, not part of his life. So maybe you're thinking, well, he did what most musicians do. Most musicians take a seed of real experience and make a poem of it. They expand it. They exaggerate it to find really great lyrics. That's what human composers do. But you see, we believe that not only are the Psalms written by the hands of people 
through the experience of people, but we believe that the Psalms are inspired by God Almighty, that every word is inspired and given to those who authored these Psalms. And so it is that the Holy Spirit, a thousand years prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, gave vision to David to write this Psalm about what will be, what was coming. It's not until Acts 2.31 that we're told that through the Holy Spirit, David foresaw and spoke about the Christ. It was real experience. It just wasn't David's experience. The reason that this psalm is so powerful is not just what it says, but whom it's talking about. It's all about Jesus, the very God who doesn't deserve to have any suffering, any brokenness, any blues moments, he literally chose, willingly chose to enter our blues, to come into our suffering and experience life. Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was despised and rejected by humankind, a man of suffering and familiar with many sorrows. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. You see, Jesus knows that street musician, you know, the one we've all seen him, the one that's got his battered uh, uh, guitar case there in front of him on the sidewalk, pretty dirty, a little smelly. The one that's playing the blues and just hoping that maybe someone will glance his direction long enough to hit that case with their loose change. You know the one, the one that he is so used to seeing people cast their eyes away from him, of seeing people grab their kid's hand and cross the road just so they don't have to enter that experience. Jesus knows that guy. Jesus was poured out for us. It was his bones that were out of joint from hanging all those hours on the cross. It was his mouth that was so dry that his tongue stuck to the inside of it so that he could barely say, I thirst. He was the one with evildoers circling him as he hung from the cross, staring at him, gloating over him, casting lots for his clothes. Of all of the things that Jesus could have sung from the cross, he could have given vent to his anger, he could have laid blame, but he didn't. He entered into the blues, to the experience of suffering. And he sings, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's in that truth of knowing that Jesus, Jesus has entered our suffering that we can be reminded of these things when we come to our low points in life. We can be reminded that it gives us a companion in our blues. And we can be reminded that we have hope beyond our blues. And we can be reminded that we have a ministry through our blues. You see, our companion in our blues is Jesus Christ. 
Do you know that Christianity is the only religion, it's the only way of life, the only faith perspective that says God has taken on human flesh. He entered into every aspect, the physical pain, the emotional pain, the mental anguish that Jesus Christ entered that, God, our companion. He doesn't say, oh, you should avoid suffering, nor is it our life. He says, let's walk through this together. We have a companion who joins us in our low moments, and he says, me too. Me too. And knowing that Jesus went through this gives us a hope beyond our suffering. See, even as the blues are sung on the cross, we have a whole different song when we get to the empty tomb. Jesus says, yes, I'm going to enter the blues moments of your life with you, but I don't want you to stay there. See, Jesus swallowed death and dying. He swallowed depression and anger and despair for once and for all, for all, for you and for me. My husband Bob and I had a chance a couple of years ago to be on the East Coast, and we were there right when they were opening the Martin Luther King Monument. It was this amazing opportunity to go and see it. And if you haven't seen it, you've got to go. I get goosebumps just thinking about it. As you park in the parking lot and start walking toward the memorial, they've built this man-made mountain that separates the parking lot from entering the memorial. And so as you walk, they actually had to cut through the mountain and create a pathway so that you can enter the memorial. But rather than removing that piece of stone so that we can enter, they pushed that piece of stone forward. And on that piece of stone is where the image of Martin Luther King Jr. is engraved. And it's on that stone that it has his quote that says, out of a mountain of despair, a stone of hope. Out of a mountain of despair, a stone of hope. No matter how big the mountain is that is looming in your life, how much you think your path is obstructed, how much you feel threatened that it is going to crush you, there is a pathway that has been cut through it. There is a stone of hope. Martin Luther King Jr. knew this better than anybody. And the blues artists know this better than anybody. And you need to know it. Our stone of hope is Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation, the foundation of our hope. Romans 5.3 says, and so we boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance character and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us. And in 2 Corinthians 4, it says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond compare. Now, if Paul can describe what he was experiencing, being beaten, chained, everything that was done to Paul, if he can describe Jesus hanging on the cross as light, momentary affliction, then you and I can endure 
because there is this eternal weight of glory. You see, we have a hope beyond our blues, and now I do feel like dancing. And we can never forget that it's through our blues that God gives birth to ministry. There's a bishop, a, a Catholic bishop named Oscar Romero. Some of you have heard of him. He was actually martyred in El Salvador in 1980. He was an incredible champion for the poor. And he once said, there are many things that can only be seen through eyes that have cried. There are many things that can only be seen through eyes that have cried. And so it is that Psalm 22 lets us know that God sees us with eyes that have cried. It's through His tear-laden eyes that He comforts us, that He will never leave us or abandon us, that He puts His arms around us from a place of knowing that we need comfort. This is like nothing or nobody on the face of this world can do for us, the comfort of God. And the Apostle Paul talks about a chain reaction of care and compassion and comfort that comes when you have been comforted by God, you know that feeling of it flowing out of you. That is ministry. That is God's heart in you for the other. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the same comfort with which we ourselves receive God's comfort. You see, Psalm 22 starts with the blues, but it does not end there. Psalm 22 ends as a song of praise. Hanging on the cross, Jesus is comforted by remembering God's goodness, the character of God. Jesus is comforted and strengthened by remembering all of the ways that God has met His people a thousand years of history. More than that, the ways that God showed up. And so it is that on the cross, Jesus begins to sing a song of praise. He changes His tune. You just can't keep a good man down. So as you, in your low moments of life, when you find yourself singing the blues, will you remember Psalm 22? Will you remember that you have a companion in your blues? Will you remember that you have a hope beyond your blues? And will you remember that your blues will produce ministry? Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you that you are a great God. And we thank you, God, that in Jesus Christ, you are small enough to hear each of our weakest cries, that you are intimately acquainted with everything that goes on in our hearts and our minds and our lives, that you say, me too. God, you are a great God. We thank you and praise you, and we ask, Lord, for you to turn our blues into music, into ministry for you. It's in your name we pray these things, Jesus. 
Amen.